So Daniel will be here on Father's Day. He will be speaking during both the Sunday school hour and during the regular worship service. So I'm guessing you're probably gonna to wanna to be here for both to, to check that out. So come on up and we'll, we'll show another clip later about Daniel, but I just, we wanted to get that before you now so you can plan to be here for that, right? Toddlers, you can go to Toddlers Church, I believe, right? Unless I'm lying to somebody. So the rest of you can get up while they're making noise and greet one another. Good morning, family. Just by way of resetting ourselves, I'm gonna pray. But just FYI, Mel told me that Leroy is okay. He's not having chest pains anymore, but they're gonna take him in to check him. As we can see from Daniel's story, from things that happened this morning, life throws us things we're not always expecting. So let's just reset ourselves here this morning. Father, I am thankful this morning that we get to be here and we get to talk about you and worship you and always be focused on you that even when negative things happen in our lives, we have the hope of your son and of your word and what it teaches us. And we want to examine that here this morning. I'm thankful that you pull greatness out of situations that are not great. And I'm thankful for the people who help with that just as this morning, I'm thankful for Troy and Deb and Bruce and Lyle and the people who help us when we're in need. And that you've gifted us all differently to have gifts to help in those times. And I'm just thankful for those people. I'm thankful for what they show of who you are. And I'm grateful for that. We ask you to be here, continue to be here this morning and teach us about yourselves. So that we can always have this on the forefront of our minds and hope and joy as we go through the days that are so very unpredictable. I know it's been a while since you've heard from me. Those most of you know I've been busy at school straightening out my professor's theology. So <laughs> I'm joking, but I, I said that on purpose because I might send this to him. And, uh, I already got my grade, so he can't change it. At least I think I do. <laughs> Um, at any rate, I feel the need to kind of review and refresh your memory. What I talked about the last couple times I was up here because I'm going to add to it. Um, and so the last two times that I spoke besides communion in April was all the way back in February and March. And we examined prayer. And because it's been so long by way of refreshing your memory, I'm going to put a couple slides up here that you've seen already. So two messages ago, all the way back in February, we looked at Exodus chapter 30 and the building of the incense altar outside the most holy place in the Old Testament. And we said about how the Lord met the priest at that incense altar and they communicated with each other. And then we looked at Revelation in chapter 5 and 8 and we saw what's happening in the throne room of God and how... The prayers of the saints are that same incense in the very throne room of God, raising that great aroma up to him. And so we see that communication with God in both the Old Testament and the New Testament is something that's pleasing to him. It's a pleasant aroma to him. And we compared those two things, first message. And then in the, the following message in March, 
we looked at the things as, as we talked about in the first message, what prayer is doing. It's building our relationship with God. It's affecting the spirit world. We talked about how to pray. We need to do it with the right heart. We need to not just be repeating manufactured repetitive prayers. The next message in March, we kind of talked about what might be getting in the way of these things. What's hindering us being able to build our relationship with God? What's hindering, what's getting in the way of that intimacy? We basically dove into the third point and how, how to pray with the right heart. How do we do that with the right heart? And then we looked at something like this. I didn't have it organized like this, but we looked at 13 different ways we can check ourselves to see if we're worshiping and praying with the right heart, okay? So today, I wanna give you a tool that will kind of help you with the second point. So we looked at how to help in the third point, how to pray with the right heart. I wanna give you a tool that'll help with the second point, building our relationship with God and affecting the spirit world. And all of my OCD people out there are going, wait a minute, we can't go from one to three to two, like you're doing it wrong. So there, how's that? Okay. If you're like me, that would have bothered you. So I just had to fix it for you. But anyway, I wanna give you some tools, but in all seriousness, I wanna talk about something that in all of the New Testament is nowhere an express command of God. And you're gonna to say to me, okay, that seems like an odd topic to preach on. Why are you talking about something that God doesn't command us to do? Because any married person will tell you, any married person in this room, that part of building relationships is sometimes doing something, not because you were asked expressly to do it, but because you know it means something to the other person. Because that you know if you do it for them, it's going to build your relationship even though they didn't ask you, right? Any married person in here will tell you there are times when I don't wanna to have to ask my husband to do something. I'd wish he'd just do it myself because he knew I liked it. That was your chance, where's, come on. No amens on that? Did you at least elbow him? Did you at least elbow him? Come on. <laughs> Lord gives us an example of how to do this for him in scripture, but he never commands us to do it. And yet it's effectiveness in scripture in building our relationship with him and affecting the spirit world is undeniable if we look at it. And since we know that building our relationship with God and affecting the spirit world is part of prayer, see that these two things are definitely expressly connected. They're definitely connected. So if you will, turn with me to Daniel chapter 10. Daniel chapter 10. While you're turning there, I know all of you Bible students are well aware that Daniel is best known for its prophecy because it has prophecy, which also includes the time when God will judge sin and deconstruct this world as we know it. In other words, the end times, whenever we go to Daniel, you expect a message in the end times, but that's not what we're going to look at today. What I wanna look at today is not what Daniel's vision mean, but how the visions actually came about to Daniel, namely how his relationship with God was so strong that the, the Lord was comfortable giving him revelation that had never been given to anyone before. So let's read all of Daniel chapter 10. In the third year, 
of the reign of King Cyrus of Persia, Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, had another vision. He understood that the vision concerned events certain to happen in the future, times of war and great hardship. When the vision came to me, I, Daniel, had been in mourning for three whole weeks. All that time I'd eaten no rich food. No meat or wine crossed my lips. I used no fragrant lotions until those three weeks had passed. On April 23rd, as I was standing at the bank of the great Tigris River, I looked up and saw a man dressed in linen clothing with a belt of pure gold around his waist. His body looked like a precious gem. His face flashed like lightning and his eyes flamed like torches. His arms and feet shone like polished bronze and his voice roared like a vast multitude of people. Only I, Daniel, saw this vision. The men with me saw nothing, but they were suddenly terrified and ran away to hide. So I was left there all alone to see this amazing vision. My strength left me, my face grew deathly pale and I felt very weak. And then I heard the man speak, and when I heard the sound of his voice, I fainted and lay there with my face to the ground. And just then a hand touched me and lifted me, still trembling, to my hands and knees. And the man said to me, Daniel, you are very precious to God. So listen carefully to what I have to say to you. Stand up, for I have been sent to you. When he said this to me, I stood up, still trembling. And then he said, don't be afraid, Daniel, since the first day you began to pray for understanding and humble yourself before God, your request was heard in heaven. I have come to answer your prayer. But for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels came to help me and I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. And now I am here to explain what will happen to your people in the future. For this vision concerns a time yet to come. And while he was still speaking to me, I looked down at the ground, unable to say a word. And one who looked like a son of man touched my lips and I opened my mouth and began to speak. I said to the one standing in front of me, I'm filled with anguish because of the vision I've seen, my Lord, and I am very weak. How can someone like me, your servant, talk to you, my Lord? My strength is gone and I can hardly breathe. Then the one who looked like a man touched me again and I felt my strength returning. Don't be afraid, he said. You are very precious to God. Peace, be encouraged, be strong. As he said these words to me, I suddenly felt stronger and said to him, please speak to me, my Lord, for you have strengthened me. He replied, do you know why I have come? Soon I must return to fight against the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. And after that, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Greece will come. Meanwhile, I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. No one helps me against these spirit princes, Michael, your spirit prince. I have been standing beside Michael to support and strengthen him since the first year of Darius the Mede. Now, before I even get into this, do you realize that we just read all of Daniel chapter 10 and we have not talked about the vision he had at all. This is only about how the vision came to him. To start off with, Daniel said for three weeks he's been in mourning and fasting, verses two and three. Three weeks he was in mourning and fasting. Now please notice, this was not a total fast. This is not a total abstinence from food. He was eating. But what does the text say in verse three? He'd eaten no rich food. He's off the Krispy Kremes. 
all right? He's not down at Fox Meadows every night after dinner getting ice cream. No ice cream, Pastor Mel. Right? A more literal translation would say that he's off of, he's off of bread. He's off of choice bread, desirable bread. So he's kind of on the Tom Brady diet here. Depending on your translation, it may say desirable food or delicacies. In other words, basically choice foods. Anything you actually want to eat, he was not eating. All right? It also says no meat or wine has crossed my lips. So he's off meat. He put the Weber grill away for the summer, right? No hot dogs, burgers, no Outback, no Longhorn, no Johnny's, right? No steak, no Chick-fil-A, no Jesus chicken. Can you believe it? Unbelievable, unbelievable. Basically he's eating salad, right? He's basically eating salad, but he also says, oh wait, I, he's not having wine with his salad either, right? No meat, no wine. I know for some of you, I won't mention any names, that's gonna ruin your Friday night, but I'll leave that alone. So notice, he hasn't given up food completely, but he's basically eating out of necessity, not pleasure. This is his fast. He's given up anything you actually wanna eat. He's eating out of necessity and not pleasure. Notice that it isn't just a fast from food. But what else does it say in verse three? I used no fragrant lotions those three weeks. Now I'm assuming that this dude is single, all right? I don't recommend men fasting from deodorant. That's not, your, your wife will probably, you know, put the kibosh on that, but he's probably more talking about cologne or something like that. But in truth, we learned from Daniel that food is not the only thing that he fasted from. So what's the overarching principle we can learn here? Daniel gave up things that were pleasurable or something pleasurable for a time to draw God's attention and response and thereby build their relationship. So fasting is giving up something pleasurable for a time to draw God's attention and build your relationship with him. Now this is similar to what happens in marriage. Men, you may give up something that you really, really want to do or some of your own time on a Friday or a Saturday to do something your wife wants to do to build your relationship with her, right? Ladies, you may do the same thing for your husbands. You may give up something you really wanted to do to go spend time with him to build your relationship. This is why we see men at flower shows and women at monster truck rallies. They don't really want to be there. That's a joke, all right. You gender people don't get all fluffy on me, all right? You can do what you enjoy as long as it's in the boundaries of God, all right? But understand what my point is. There are times of selflessness built into your relationship that you deliberately do something that maybe you don't wanna do for the benefit of the other. So back to our text. You may rightly say to me here that, wait a minute, Bruce, this says that Daniel was in mourning, not necessarily in prayer. That's true. But even in mourning, the results are still the same. He's looking for response from God. He's looking for comfort from God. He's looking for closeness. He's seeking that relationship. And regardless of the reason of the fast, the, the effects of the fast are undeniably spelled out here. And the first is, the fasting moves God or the Holy Spirit to respond. Now I pulled several examples of this from scripture that we'll go over, 
But not every fast is for the same immediate reason as the next fast, as we'll see. But they're all for the same ultimate reason, and that is to draw nearer to God. Now, the first one we already went over is here in Daniel. So Daniel's looking for wisdom. The biblical fasts we go over. Daniel's looking for wisdom. In Daniel's case, he's entreating God as to a better understanding of what's going to happen in the future. If you, if you look back one, just one chapter, you don't even have to turn the page if you're in your pew Bible. The first three verses of chapter 9. It says, in the first year of the reign of Darius the Mede, the son of Ahasuerus, who became the king of the Babylonians, during the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, learned from reading the word of the Lord as revealed to Jeremiah the prophet. So Daniel's sitting down, he's reading his scripture, he's reading Jeremiah, and he says he learned that Jerusalem must lie desolate for 70 years. Now this is important to him because they've been in exile for roughly 67 years at this point. So this is almost over in his mind. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and fasting. I, I also wore a burlap and sprinkled myself with ashes. Daniel is doing this because he wants to know more about what the, Lord's, the word of the Lord says in regards to what's going to happen. He wants a deeper relationship. He wants deeper understanding. He wants to know what the Lord's plans are. He's looking for a response from God and he's included a fast with his prayers to achieve that. And he's not the only one in scripture who does this. Just a couple of weeks ago, was it three weeks ago? Maybe Scott preached on Esther. If you were here, he talked about the book of Esther. And in Esther, I don't want to go over the whole story again, but the Jews needed protection because Mordecai was being uh, prosecuted by Naaman and Naaman wanted to wipe out all the Jews. So Mordecai goes to Esther and says, hey, we need a little help here, right? And what does Esther say? She's like, I can't go into the king, he'll kill me. Mordecai's like, you're dead either way. And she's like, all right, I'll do it, but you go fast for me. For three days, the entire community of the Jewish people fasted. And what happened? We know from Scott's message that Mordecai was hanged, or Naaman was hanged in the very place he built for Mordecai. The Jews went out and won a great victory over those people trying to kill them. So much great, so great was that victory that if you read Esther 9.31, it says that that fast became a memorial that they did every year. So she fasted for protection. They fasted for protection. If you read Ezra, you don't have to turn there. Three verses in Ezra chapter eight. Ezra speaking, and there by the Ahava Canal, I gave orders for all of us to fast and humble ourselves before God. We prayed that he would give us a safe journey and protect us, our children, our goods as we traveled. For I was ashamed to ask the king and his soldiers for horsemen to accompany us and protect us because we just told the king, our God's hand of protection is on all who worship him. But his fierce anger rages against those who abandon him. And so what we did, we fasted and prayed that the Lord would take care of us and he heard our prayer. Right? So fasting for protection, fasting for watch care is a part of scripture. It's it's more than just an aggressive protection. It's, it's, it's a watch care over your family, over your people. It's an appropriate way to petition the Lord for these things. A New Testament example. You don't have to turn there. Just three verses again. Acts chapter 13. Among the prophets and the teachers of the church at Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Manan, and Saul. So these five guys are together. And one day as these men were worshiping in the Lord and fasting, they're just at church, they're having church, they're worshiping, they're fasting. And the spirit says, appoint Barnabas and Saul for a special work to which I've called them. 
And so after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and off they went. So you want to move of the Holy Spirit? You want a spiritual direction in your life? Try fasting. They're just worshiping. They're just having church. And they add a fast to it. And all of a sudden they receive information from the Holy Spirit that they didn't have before. Would you like to have the Holy Spirit move more in these church services? All right. You can try fasting. By my understanding, that's a way to promote these things. Another fast in scripture is earthly victory. Again, you don't have to turn there. Judges chapter 20. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But in Judges chapter 20, it's the story of the defeat of the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin committed a sin, committed crimes against the other tribes of Israel. And so all the tribes of Israel get together and they're like, okay, we're going to avenge this crime and we're going to take it out on Benjamin. So they go out to fight Benjamin and they get defeated. And so they come home and they pray and they go out to fight Benjamin again and they get defeated. And they come back and they have mourning and then they have fasting. And the Lord says, go out again. And the third time they go out, only after they fasted, they have victory with the tribe of Benjamin. Earthly victory, you have people in your life, your boss, someone in your family, some other person you're having issues with, fasting is a way to deal with that issue. Lastly, I lost it, fellas. Here we go. Spiritual victory. And you all story, so you don't have to turn there. Matthew chapter four and the first 11 verses, 40 days and 40 nights, God's own son, Jesus, fasted before he went out in the wilderness to struggle with the devil. Now, let me ask you a question. Does Jesus, God incarnate, really need to fast before he goes out and fights with the devil? Or is this for our benefit? I'm gonna leave that question unanswered. You, you answer that because to me, it doesn't really matter. The point is he did it. He did it. And friend, are you struggling with something in your life? Does something have a hold of you? You can't, you just can't break free from? Have you added the power of a fast to your prayers? See, I don't believe that God does things at random and without reason. That's not, we serve a reasonable, logical God. If he's unreasonable in any way, it's with his love and his grace. Other than that, he's reasonable and fair and logical. So why would a reasonable God spend 40 days and nights without food if it didn't do anything? It does something. All these people needed or wanted or were seeking a response from or relationship with God and fasting helped them achieve that. Now notice that they didn't all do the exact same thing for the exact same amount of time, right? Daniel fasted for three weeks. Esther and the Jews fasted for three days. Jesus fasted for 40 days. Some of them fasted completely. Some of them fasted partially. There is no magical fasting formula because it's not about doing this to get a key to unlock the door that God gives you exactly what you want. That's not what it's about. So what is it about? Why or how does fasting work? It works in conjunction with your heart. 
It promotes humility. It's a way of humbling yourself. Daniel, it says it right here in, in verse 12 of the chapter we read. Don't be afraid, Daniel, since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before God, your request has been heard in heaven. Let me give you another one. Turn this time. Turn with me. First Kings. First Kings chapter 21. If you're in your pew Bible, it's page 303. I'm going to start at verse 20. This is Ahab and Elijah having a conversation. The prophet Elijah and the wicked king Ahab. Verse 20. So, my enemy, you have found me, Ahab exclaimed. Yes, Elijah answered. I've come because you sold yourself to what is evil in the Lord's sight. And now the Lord says, I will bring disaster on you and consume you. I will destroy every one of your male descendants, slave and free alike, anywhere in Israel. I'm going to destroy your family as I did the family of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, and the family of Basha, son of Ahijah, for you have made me very angry and have led Israel into sin. And regarding Jezebel, the Lord says, dogs will eat Jezebel's body at the plot, at the plot of land in Jezreel. The members of Ahab's family who die in the city will be eaten by dogs, and those who die in the field will be eaten by vultures. No one else so completely sold himself to what was evil in the Lord's sight as Ahab did under the influence of his wife Jezebel. Let me read it again. No one else so completely sold himself to what was evil in the Lord's sight as Ahab did under the influence of his wife Jezebel. So we're talking about the most wicked person in scripture to this point. His worst outrage was worshiping idols, just as the Amorites had done, the people whom the Lord had driven out of the land ahead of the Israelites. But when Ahab heard this message, he tore his clothing, dressed in burlap, and fasted. He even slept in burlap and went about in deep mourning. Then another message from the Lord came to Elijah. Do you see how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has done this, I will not do what I promised during his lifetime. It will happen to his sons. I will destroy his dynasty. Verse 25 tells us that Ahab is the most ungodly human living at the time that this was recorded. And yet the Lord still recognized his fast and showed mercy on him because it says he humbled himself. You know, people like to quote Second Chronicles 714, and when I say it, you all know it. Then if my people who call by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and remove the sin and restore their land. Have you ever asked yourself what it means to humble yourself in that context? What does that look like to God? It isn't self-deprecation. I like to stand up here and make jokes because... I enjoy doing it, and a lot of them have to do with food because I'm a little heavier than I should be, and I wouldn't mind losing a few pounds, and it's self-deprecating, and it's easy, but it's not humbling. It's not humbling to self-deprecate yourself in front of the Lord. That's not what he's talking about. Daniel humbled himself by fasting. Ahab humbled himself by fasting. It's a sign of humility, and it, the reason why it works is because it adjusts our attitude. 
It puts my will aside to pursue his will. It puts my desire for food or whatever else aside to pursue his will. Tony Evans says it this way, fasting satisfies God because we're saying to him, the cry of my soul for you is greater than the cry of my soul for food or whatever else that I gave up in my life that I really, really want. Earlier, we talked about married people doing practical things for their spouse without being asked because they know it means something for them. Fasting is a practical, physical way to relate to an invisible God, which is not easy to do. Like that's one of our biggest gripes with God is like we can't see him, it's hard to relate to him. Well, this is a practical, physical way to engage with him. Your will means more than my will. It draws his attention because it says I'm serious about this. Whatever issue is on your heart, if you're willing to fast about it, you're serious about it. You know, when people are sick physically in their body, they often feel like, I don't want to eat. I don't want food. Not because they don't desire food, but because they're ill, because the body's saying, I don't really want it. This is kind of like the spiritual version of that. We can reach this point in our spirit as well. Father, this is a serious issue to the point where food is not my main interest right now. The, the, my spirit and, and my heart are heavy, and that's overriding my desire for whatever it is that I've given up. The second thing that fasting does, it affects or influences the spirit world. Daniel tells us in verse two that he's been fasting for three weeks. Why did Daniel have to fast for three weeks? The angel gives us insight when he responds to Daniel because there were things going on in the spirit world that Daniel couldn't see. The angel says the first day in verse 12, the first day he began to pray for understanding and humble himself, his request was heard. But it took three weeks for the answer to come. Why? Reread here. Reread that. Verse 13. But for 21 days, three weeks, the angel is speaking. The spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me, and I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now I'm here to explain what this vision concerns in the future, a time yet to come. Now, how long would it have taken for Daniel to get a response if he wasn't fasting? Now, you may rightly say to me, well, Bruce, it doesn't say, the angel doesn't say that it sped up the process. Maybe it would have took three weeks anyway. Good observation. Let me point you to Mark chapter 9. You probably know the story, so you don't have to turn there. But Jesus comes upon a crowd and they're having an argument. And there's this man who has a son and he's demon possessed and he brought him to the Pharisees. And he says, cast this demon out of my son. He keeps throwing him down and making him do stupid things. But they couldn't cast him out. And so after some discussion, Jesus cast the demon out of the guy, out of the child. And then later on to save face, they're having dinner and they're away from the crowd. The disciples are like, hey, What's the deal? Why couldn't we cast that out? And Jesus says, they only come out by prayer and fasting. There are things happening in the spiritual world that we cannot see and that only fasting can take care of. So you're right, Daniel may not have needed to fast, but then again, he may have needed to fast.
Last thing I want to say. You can fast for the wrong reasons. And so because I like food and because I don't like giving up food, I don't want you or me, particularly me, to fast for the wrong reasons. It's <laughs> a joke. Did I put you to sleep already? You can fast for the wrong reasons. And I don't want you to waste your time fasting and I don't want to waste my time fasting. So let's look at how we make sure we don't do that. Turn to Isaiah chapter 58 and make sure we don't do this wrong. Page 614 in the pew Bible. This is the Lord speaking to the people of Israel. I'll start in verse three. People say, we have fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? We have been very hard on ourselves and you don't even notice it. I'll tell you why the Lord responds. It's because you are fasting to please yourself. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling with one another? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind. You dress in burlap, cover yourself with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? This is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free. Remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry. You're gonna give up food? Give it to somebody who needs it. Give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. Do not hide from relatives who need your help. Then, then, your salvation will come like the dawn. Your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then when you call, the Lord will answer, yes, I am here. He will quickly reply. Remove the heavy yoke of oppression. Stop pointing your finger and spreading vicious rumors. You talking about people in this room? Don't do that. Feed the hungry, help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out of the darkness and darkness around you will be bright as noon. The Lord will guide you continually, give you water when you are dry, restoring your strength. You will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever flowing spring. These people are fasting to have their own desires met. They're not looking for relationship with the Lord. They're doing it for me, myself, and I. They're not interested in God's will. They're interested in having their will done. Back to our marriage example. This is like the guy who says, honey, you know what? Friday night, I'm gonna put my plans aside. I wanna go out with you. I wanna spend some time with you. We'll do what you wanna do. Secretly, without his wife's knowing, his plans have already been canceled. And really, he just doesn't want to make dinner for himself. It knows that if he goes out with his wife, they're going to go out to dinner and he'll get a meal and he won't have to do any work. Do you understand the difference? Fasting is not about 
doing things for ourselves. It's about trying to get God's will to be part of our lives. And I put a couple other verses up here. I'm not going through them all. Those are for your reference if you want to write them down. Look, here's the point. Fasting, it's not about making penance for our sins. Jesus already did that. It's not about earning merit with God. Pharisees tried to do that. Hey, look at me. Look at what I'm doing for you. That's not what it's about. It's not about trying to get a quarter to put in a gumball machine, get out what we want from the machine. Like that's not what fasting is about. It's about building relationship with him. It says something to him in our relationship. If we're willing to humble ourselves and put my will aside and seek out his will and his desire. And as with every other principle in scripture that I stand up here and talk to you about, that Mel stands up here and talks to you about, it has to do with your heart. And understand also that it affects the spirit world around us. Are you in a battle spiritually? Are you in a battle with alcohol or porn or anger or selfishness? Are you seeking protection over your family, over your children? Do you need more wisdom from the word of God when you read it? Do you need a move of the Holy Spirit in your life? Are you in mourning and you need comforted? Do you just want a deeper relationship with God? Have you considered adding a fast to your prayers? Charles Simeon says it this way. He was a preacher in the 17, 1800s and he wrote a bunch of commentaries in Mel's office that I really enjoy. And I thought he summed it up better than I could. So let me just read what he said. It's short. Hence, and I should say of fasts, that they are approved of the Lord rather than absolutely ordained. It's not commanded, they're approved of him. And they are proper for seasons of peculiar emergency rather than fixed to any precise time or measure. And we cannot doubt the expediency, the effectiveness of their observances. While we admit that they are not imposed on us as rights of indispensable necessity. Yet indeed, considering all that has been said, all that we just talked about, we think that no person will judge it either prudent or proper to wholly neglect them. In other words, it should be a part of your spiritual walk. And realistically, we can say, why wouldn't I want to go fast? I'm sorry, I can't miss a good dad joke if I have the opportunity to put it up there. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for what your word teaches us. We're grateful that you offer us the opportunity to build relationship with you. I don't enjoy fasting. I don't enjoy it because I have to give up myself and I'm not particularly good at that. But thankfully you've helped me to be able to do it. And I pray over this congregation that is, as we put our hearts and minds to do that, that you would meet us in that place and you would teach us in that place and you would meet the needs of the people in this room because I know they are many and they are varied and they are great. And I just pray that as we do this, that our relationship with you would be built and grown and we would learn how to do it better and more correctly and just help us in that and meet us where we attempt to meet in Jesus' name.
dismissed if you um, would like to go. We're going to just keep playing if you want to stay and worship and um, talk to God, feel free. Mm-hmm.